morning, Southbridge. How are y'all doing today? Oh, second question. You weren't ready for that, right? All right. I hope you're doing well this morning. We're glad that you're here. If you're a guest with us, I just want to say a special hello and welcome. If you're in Theater 14, hello, listening online. Um, or watching online, hello and good morning. If you wouldn't mind, for those of you who have a worship program, if you are a guest with us, we'd love it if you'd fill out in there that it's called our connection card. And if you fill that out, take it out to the first time guest kiosk, which is outside the doors on the left as you're leaving. Um, we have a gift for you that's waiting there for you. So if you please turn that in, that would be wonderful. And as well, um, you'll see that many of the cup holders, there were little cards in there with pens. If you were not here last week, we had everybody fill one of those out. We'd ask you to fill one out. Maybe last week you were here and weren't in the mood to fill that out, or for whatever reason, if you would fill it out this week, we're updating our database and some of those things, so we would love it if you would do just that. And I want to pray for us, we're going to jump into God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come before your presence, and we're grateful that we can call you Father. We're grateful for the relationship that's offered from you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that everyone who will hear these words today would have that relationship with you. I pray, God, that you would change eternal destinies. I pray, God, for those of us who might be in a rut, that you would shake us out of that rut and move us closer to you, that you would move among us, that your presence would be known and felt, and that you'd speak to our hearts in whatever way you see fit. We surrender to you. We come to you. Even the fact we're coming to you, we're acknowledging we need you to show up. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing today our summer series that we've been doing entitled Supernatural. And in this series, we've been talking about something that the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. And what many other people that don't know the Bible will call the things that they long for in their life. There's people that will go on great journeys to experience the joy that we're talking about in this passage of Scripture, a joy that actually supersedes circumstances, that doesn't matter what's going on at home, what's going on at work. Uh, And the people long for all of this stuff. Love, we talk about a love, to be fully known and fully accepted. Who doesn't long for that? That someone would know everything about you, all your secrets, all your warts, all the bad stuff and the good stuff, and would fully love you, fully accept you like God does. Peace, we've talked about peace, peace with God, peace with others, peace with ourselves. And what we've talked about, though, is specifically to believers. And we've seen, as we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit, that if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with Jesus, the Bible says that you have the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, if you know Christ, you have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit... You don't know Christ. And so it talks about that very clearly. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you've been bought with a price. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says that the Spirit of God is a deposit in us. He's placed the Spirit in us. And so think about that for a moment. You have, if you're a believer in Jesus, the very living God inside of you. And so things should be different. That should be unique. And if that spirit longs for you to experience this love, this joy, this peace, this patience, kindness, goodness, all the things we talk about in this passage of Scripture, you should have it to a supernatural degree, to a different level than a Buddhist could ever experience love, to a different level than an atheist could ever have joy, to a different level than a Mormon could ever have peace. To anything that anybody that doesn't have the spirit of God, you should have it to a supernatural degree. And so the question becomes, do you? And today we talk about supernatural goodness. If you have your Bible, we're going to be back in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to start reading in verse 16, where we've been reading every time we've turned in this passage of Scripture to give us the, the context of what's happening here, and Paul's writing to some people in the book of Galatia, or in the, in the region of the world called Galatia at the time, and he's writing to people that we've seen, we have a lot in common with, because they, like many of us, are confused. They've made the most important decision that anyone could ever make. And if you haven't made that decision, you can do it today. And the most important decision anyone could ever make is to place their faith in Jesus Christ. But then they, like many of us, don't know what to do next. 
And so they do what comes natural, what's obvious. What some of you have done in your spiritual journey is that if you trust Jesus as your Savior, now you've got to figure out how do I live this Christian life. And so what do you do? You watch other Christians. You watch people that are at church, and you see what do they do. And they seem to be moral, and they seem to be nice, and it seems like they're happy, and so we copy their lives, and we do the things that they do. We never take the time to ask them the question. So do you have supernatural joy? Do you have a peace that doesn't make any sense to anybody in this world apart from God? What do you have in your life that can only be explained by God? We don't ask those questions. We just copy people. And they did the same thing with somebody else. And so we're copying a copy of a copy. Have you ever done that in a photocopier? It doesn't turn out real well. (laughs) And what happens is we're not trying to be phonies. Our intention is not to be fake. But what we have is, because of Christian culture, it's just happened from copying each other, is we've got a plastic version of Christianity, and we are phonies. We are fakes. We're copying fake fruit. And so we come up with fake fruit, copied off of fake fruit. And so that's kind of what we live in. And many people, you don't have the power of God in your life, and you wonder why, and that's why. And then there's other group of people. And what some of us do is we trust Jesus as our Savior, the most important decision we'll ever make, right? We're trusting with our eternal destiny. We're staking eternity on what he did on the cross. But then... We don't trust them enough to trust them with our daily stuff, whether it's our money, whether it's our kids, whether it's our schooling, whatever it is, the daily decisions, we got those, right? We'll just trust them with the most eternal, most important stuff, and then we'll take care of all the rest. And Paul tells us there's a different way to live, a different way than you doing it all on your own, a different way than fake fruit and legalism, religion, and all that other stuff. He says this in verse 16, so I say, live by the Spirit. It's a supernatural way to live your life by the Spirit. It's scary because it's unpredictable. But it's a different way. Live by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's what we naturally do, our natural inclinations, our natural tendencies. And then he says here, why? For the the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the Spirit. What's natural is contrary to the supernatural. And the Spirit, what's contrary to the sinful nature. And they're in conflict with each other, so you don't do what you want. That's that battle that takes place inside of you. But, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. There aren't a bunch of rules. You do what the Spirit tells you to do. He'll guide you. He'll lead you. You keep in step with Him. It'll be a supernatural life. But here's the natural stuff. Verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and it seems like a long list, but he says, I can go on, and the like. And I warn you, this is a warning, I warn you, as I did before, those who continually live this way, this is the pattern of your life, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, contrast, the fruit, what's produced, you don't produce, but what is produced, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. Now, it's a slow death, but since we live the supernatural life, let us keep in step with the supernatural one. And so here we see the key to the Christian life is the Spirit of God, a spirit that's scary because we can't control, and we don't have, and we have to surrender all, and we have to trust we have to trust one that we can't even see, but that we say lives inside of us, that we can quench. And there's this battle and this struggle. He says, be led by the Spirit. Be guided by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Those are the things that I... And then you will experience supernatural love, supernatural joy, supernatural peace. And today we talk about supernatural goodness. And today as we're talking about supernatural goodness, we're going to see that supernatural goodness requires a love-hate relationship. Supernatural goodness requires a love-hate relationship with Jesus. Now, many of us probably haven't thought 
about our relationship with Jesus as a love-hate relationship, but you can think of different areas of life that are kind of a love-hate situation. I don't know how rowdy of a crowd we had this morning, kind of competing you against the earlier service, but uh, do you have many passionate people here today? Oh, yeah, like one. Yeah, <laughs> See what he's passionate about in a moment. All right. Uh, it's not about some different areas of life where it is kind of a love-hate. Like either you love something or you hate it. It's kind of a polarizing thing. And the first thing that I was going to share with you is food. There are certain kinds of foods. We all eat food of some sort, but there are certain foods that are kind of polarizing. Some people say blue cheese. Other people say styles of food, different things like that. But one that I thought was kind of universal, either you love it or you hate it, onions. Now, how many people here, you love onions? All right, got hands up for the quiet folks, got some hollerers. How many people hate onions? You don't want to touch in anything? You don't want to, yeah, I heard somebody say, gross. Yeah. You know what? I love onions. What I don't love is when I eat onions in the evening, I wake up the next day and can still taste them. Uh-huh. Yeah, some of you have done that too. That's why some of you, you, you either love or you hate onions. There's other stuff in life. What about on TV? When you think about entertainment, reality TV. Some people love reality TV. One, two, yeah, a couple people don't want to be known. Got it. Yeah. Other people, you, you hate reality TV. Let me tell you what I hate. I hate the title reality TV. Because those two things in my mind seem mutually exclusive from one another. Either it's real or it's on TV, but they don't go together. And so it's not even that I hate the shows so much. You can pick different shows and talk about them. I might watch a couple of them, but here's the thing. I hate the idea because it's not real. As soon as you put a camera on somebody and say, we're going to show this to the rest of the world, it's not real anymore, okay? So I hate that idea. So my love for reality drives my hate for the title, reality, TV. Some of you, you love romance movies, chick flicks, whatever you want to call them, love stories. And you think about those different things. How many of you here love romance movies? I didn't hear any deep voices. Some of you guys are like in denial. You don't want anybody to know this is true. I'll tell you, some of you, if you hate them, then what you think is, I know how it goes. They fall in love, they get married at the end, blah, 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 blah. It's kind of how it happens. But every once in a while, you ever get sucked into those? Like, who died? Why, why are you crying? You know, you kind of come into the room. Yeah, but you didn't want to, right? That's kind of, I understand how that works. Some of you, sports teams. It's a love-hate thing with sports teams, isn't it? I was trying to think of the most hated sports team in Raleigh. Yes, they already have booze coming up because you just just seeing the symbols. Some of you hate the Patriot cheaters or different people like that or the, the Yankees or whoever it is, the Duke. I, I put Duke on there because I thought they'd be the most hated. Yeah, you're cheering because you hate them, right? <laughs> how many people hate Duke? All right, I love you. So here's the reason why. You probably hate Duke because you love UNC. Or you probably hate Duke because you love NC State. So you're even, ah, ah, we got more of them here. We need help. And uh, we're, we're glad that you're here. Everybody's welcome here today. But it's your love for one thing that drives your hate for another. And we talk about our relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying you either love or hate Jesus because there are a lot of lukewarm people. Okay, what I'm saying is that you, because of your love for Jesus, you hate certain other things. And we talk about, in, our, in this context today of supernatural goodness, the Bible says it's okay to be a hater. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 says, hate what is evil. Do you know what's evil? It's anything and everything that hinders you from God. It says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. That language for cling to is the same language you'll see in the Old Testament when it talks about, and for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and cleave to, cling to his wife. They'll be cemented together. They'll be clung together. They'll be bound together. Cling to what is good. Do you know what's good? God. The kind of goodness that we're talking about today. It's God's kind of goodness. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, when we talk about supernatural love and joy and peace, the fruit of the Spirit is, and one of its goodness. It's God is good. That's the goodness. It's a God-like quality we're talking about in our lives, where God is seen in our lives in a supernatural way. And so to give you a definition of goodness, what are we talking about here? We're talking about God. God is good, and we know that. We sing that. 
you are good, you are good. When there's nothing good in me, you're good. And some of you, you've been to churches where they're interactive and there might be some banter. The pastor will have certain sayings that he'll say and then you say stuff back. Have you ever been to church before where the pastor says, God is good and all the time. That is true. So what does it mean? What do you mean when you say that? What does it mean that God is good? That's your definition for goodness today. Goodness is God. God is good. Awesome. We write it down. What does that mean? What does that mean to our lives? What are we saying about him? And what we mean is that God is good by his nature and his essence. One book I read this week said that fire or God is good like fire is hot and like water is wet. And what they were saying was that God by his very nature, his essence, who he is, ultimately the only one that is good is God. The ultimate essence of good is God. Okay, but what does that mean? Like what does that mean to me? There's an amazing passage of scripture in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 33, where there's this man named Moses, and he's got an incredible relationship with God. And I know you're not supposed to envy, but I look at it, I long for a relationship with God like Moses has. And you see it, and I was just thinking about even as we were singing the song, though, thinking about that passage, well, yeah, but he spent 40 years in the desert, and then those steps of faith to go before Pharaoh, and you don't just get there in one moment, but he's got this intimate relationship with God. And God's got his hand on Moses' life, and he's got his hand on the people, and he's talking to them about going into the promised land in Exodus chapter 33. And Moses says, if you're not going to go with us, we don't want to go. See, the only way that people are going to know that your hand is on us is if you're there. We want you there in a special way. We want people to sense your presence. And they're talking. You know what the Bible says about their relationship? That God spoke to Moses like a friend speaks to a friend. And that's what that draws. I want to be able to speak to God like that, where he's communicating to me, I'm communicating to him. How do we have that? Moses gets real confident in that in the passage. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, he says, Show me your glory. Like, we talk to each other. I hear from you. You hear from me. I want to see you. I want to see your glory. Can I see you? But he doesn't say it even in a question. He says, show me your glory. And then you read the next verse. It's interesting what God says back. Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my, not glory, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I'll proclaim my name, the Lord. So he's going to show Moses himself, his essence, his nature. And he says, I'm going to show you my goodness. And so you continue to read that passage and what happens in that same encounter. The next is chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. And up till that point, God told Moses, you you go in the cleft of the rock. He said, I'm going to say my name before you. I'm going to show you my goodness. And then he shows him. And look at what it says in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, and here's his name, the Lord, the Lord. And then here's his goodness, the compassion and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, in verse 7. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And so what is his goodness? Remember he said, I'm going to show you my goodness. If you have the passage, you can go back. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Go back up. And as he's showing his goodness, what does he say in verse 6? He says his name, the Lord, the Lord. And what does he say about it? Compassionate and gracious. So when you see his compassion, when he looks out at us, he's about to preach to the multitudes and the crowds that come. And he doesn't see all the stuff that we see. He sees our hearts. That's his compassion. He sees our needs. Remember harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd we talked about last week? That's his compassion. So every time he knows your needs... That's a demonstration of his goodness. 
His grace. We've all experienced God's grace. He lets the rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, the New Testament says. That means that he gives provision to the wicked and to those who know Jesus. And so we've all experienced God's grace to some degree. The very fact that we're here, that we got out of bed this morning, that we have breath, is God's grace in our lives. That's evidence of his nature, of his essence, of who he is, of his goodness. His goodness is his compassion. It's his grace. It's that he's slow to anger. The next phrase, a way you could say that, if you were going to use the language from our Galatians 5 passage, he's patient. And we've all experienced his patience. It's the reason why he hasn't sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come back yet. Because Peter tells us that he's waiting for everybody to hear the gospel and for more people to repent. He's not slow in keeping his promise, like some people consider slowness, but he's not willing that anyone would perish. He desires that everyone will come to a knowledge of him. And so he's patient with us. And we've experienced the very fact that he hasn't wiped you out because of your sin. It's a demonstration. He's slow to anger. And this is abounding in love and faithfulness. That he loves you by his nature. He is love. And it doesn't have anything to do with you. For God so loved the world. He's never made a person he didn't love. He loves you, regardless of what you think in your mind. He loves you. And it's not because of you and because of what you've done or because you're better than the person next to you. It's not any of that stuff. It's because of him. It's because of his essence, because of his nature. And that's his goodness. And not only is he loving, but he's faithful. Even when we're faithless, he remains faithful to us. But not only that, you continue to go on through the passage, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness. His forgiveness is an evidence of his goodness. And, and then it goes on, and grasp this, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. So he's forgiving, he's gracious, he's loving, but he's still just and righteous and wrathful. And so when you see his discipline, you see his goodness. When you see his holiness, his righteousness, and how does he remain both? Because he casts all of that wrath on his son Jesus Christ on the cross. And so it either happens in the life of the individual or it happens in the life of his son Jesus Christ for those who have placed their faith in him. That's his goodness, the essence, the nature of his goodness. It's his grace, it's his forgiveness, it's his mercy, it's his compassion, it's his justice, it's his righteousness, it's his anger, it's his wrath. That's what it means when you say that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good because he is always himself. And he is all of those things. And you see that because of his nature being good, his actions are good. They're always good. And you go back to Genesis chapter 1, and it almost becomes redundant. If you read Genesis chapter 1, he creates and it's good. And he creates and it's good. It's all good. That's the summary of Genesis chapter 1. It's all good. It's, he creates the earth, he creates light, and he said, and he saw that it was good. And he creates land, and he saw that it was good. And he creates birds, and he saw that they were good. And he creates animals, there must not have been any cats, and he saw that they were good. And he creates you, and he creates me, and he sees that we're good. We're created good because we're created in the image of God. And it says on the seventh day, he sees everything he created, and it was all good. Now, it goes bad, and you know what happens in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3? Is that people, we, seek goodness apart from God. Eve saw the apple, and it was good, pleasing to the eye. And remember, the serpent had said, if you eat this apple, you'll know good and evil. It was seeking goodness apart from God, who by his very nature is good, and his actions are good. We messed it up, and then then sin came. And that's where evil comes from, and that's where all these problems that we see and the tragedies and the rapes and the murders and all the stuff that we all hate. But he is good, and what he does is good, and everything he gives is good. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11, everything that he gives in our life is good. And we, we're wicked. Even those of, those of us who try to be the best parents we can possibly be, we're, we're wicked, we're evil. No matter how wicked and evil you are, though, you're not giving your kids presents as a joke, like just to mess with them. You're going to give them rocks and snakes. <laughs> he says in this passage, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father 
who by his essence and nature is love, is grace, is compassionate, is patient, how much more will he give gifts, good gifts, to those who ask him? Everything you have that's good in your life, it came from God. James chapter 1 and verse 17. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. It comes from your Father. So whatever is good in your life, that came from God. The natural question we all have to ask ourselves because we live in this place and we all have pain and we all have problems and we all have sin. What about the bad? What about the evil? What about the stuff that we all hate? The abuse and the rape and you know, violence against women and children get hurt and the tragedies and Katrina and all this stuff happens and the wars. and What about all that stuff? Well, God is so good that he can even redeem that stuff because everything he gives is good. There is wickedness. It's because we try to seek good apart from God and there is evil and that's on us. That's not on him. But what he does is he takes that stuff and he's so good that he can redeem that. I don't know what the pain is in your life. We all have it. And I don't know what his plan is, so I'm not going to try and lay all that out this morning, but he can redeem it for good. You see it in the book of Genesis with Joseph. Talk about pain. The guy's emotionally abused. He's physically abused. He's sold. He's trafficked. He's the first person we have recorded that's uh, trafficked as human trafficking. He gets falsely accused. He's involved in a sex scandal, ends up going to prison. And then what does he say? To the evil people, his brothers that tried to harm him, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, for the saving of many lives. God was even going to take the wickedness in my life and redeem it to impact other people's lives. And what does Romans chapter 8 say? For God, God works everything together for those who love him for good. Good's all over the scripture. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He wants you to experience his goodness. And so the question I ask you is, how have you experienced his goodness? And evil? And blessing? And not just his goodness. We've all experienced his goodness just by the very nature that he's good and we live. We have, we're alive. We have breath. That's God's grace. But have you experienced a supernatural goodness? Where have you seen that in your life? Where is there goodness in your life that can only be explained by God? We have up here every Sunday after the service uh, what we call a response team. And there are different folks that wear in our church. They wear these little yellow lanyard name tag things that say response team on them. Sometimes you'll see them out in the lobby. Uh, their ministry, what they prepare for on Sunday mornings is to pray with different people that will come. For various reasons. Sometimes people have a burden that they come to church with. And it didn't matter what got said in the service. They want to pray with somebody. And so we have somebody there to pray with you. Uh, some people will trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. We had several people do that last week. We had people that want to pray with someone because of that and ask questions about that. That's why they're here. You got people that just want to pray. They might have a, a celebration. They don't just want to pray with somebody. And so these folks are here for various different reasons to pray with people after the service. And it doesn't matter what the service is like. It doesn't matter if we do communion at the end, have baptism afterwards, if it's an invitation for people to come to Jesus for the first time, repentance, whatever it is, they're here. And they're just up here. Sometimes I don't mention them. And people come pray with them all the time. Every once in a while, uh, they are able to share with me some of the things that, that take place and they'll hear the answers to some of their prayers. And I had one woman who recently shared with me that she was in the parking lot over at Lowe's Grocery Store here in Briar Creek, and a woman came up to her and said, you know, you go to that church, you're the woman who prayed with me the other day, and, you know, you see lots of people, and so sometimes you can forget what's happening. And she reintroduced herself and said, you prayed with me about my mom's surgery that was coming up. She remembered praying with this woman, and she said uh, she made it through the surgery. Everything went fine. Let me tell you the really interesting thing that took place. When they opened my mom up, they found exactly what they expected to find, this giant tumor. But here's the crazy part. When the doctor touched that tumor with an instrument, it turned into powder. Thank you for praying with me. She experienced God's healing. God still works that way, by the way. 
He doesn't heal every person. Sometimes he redeems that for the saving of other lives. Sometimes he uses that to bring you closer to him. But sometimes he heals and he does those things. Have you seen his supernatural goodness in your life? That was supernatural goodness. Have you seen things in your life that are only explainable by God? The ultimate example of this is the gospel. That you're a sinner, that I'm a sinner, that there's nothing lovely about us and he chooses to love us. And then he sends his son to die for us. So that our sin, ultimately what it should earn us, the wages of sin is death, the gift of God. He gives us a gift instead of our punishment. And the gift is eternal life, his son, Jesus Christ. And then old things pass away and new things come. We're made into a new creation. All right, that's got to be a joke, right? How's that even possible? It's so good. That's the ultimate example of goodness. If you haven't experienced that, you can experience that today. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the first step. It's salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And then after that, what's supernatural? Those are your believers. What's supernatural in your life since that point? And see, what's stopping you from experiencing that if there's nothing? And back to that Romans 12 passage. Evil is everything that hinders us from experiencing that. Hate what is evil, cling to, cleave to, love what is good. What is good? God, all the time. And all the time, God is good. So why are we not experiencing supernatural goodness all the time? There's something hindering us. What is it? Sometimes it's sin. And sometimes it's sin that, that we're okay with. You know, our youth pastor preached about a month or two months ago. I can't remember when it was. But when Josh was preaching, he said a statement that struck me. I hope it struck you. And if not, I hope it strikes you right now. He said, how can we say that we love God when we love what he hates? How can we say that we love God when we love what he hates? See, I could ask you, do you love God? Yeah, sign me up. I got love the Lord your God with all your heart. Do you hate sin? Well, I don't love sin. You know, you might say that. And, there's, and that's true, but let's like, kind of take the mask off here today and just say there's certain sins in Christian circles. They're not okay to talk about. Um, and we try you know, to hide those things and cover those things up if they're real in our lives. If they're not real in our lives, we just talk about how bad they are. Um, sexual sin fits in that category, whatever that would be. Drug abuse kind of fits in that. You know, major crime, if somebody's stealing a bunch of money from their company, we kind of put all that stuff in like everybody hates that stuff, Right? Right? And then, and then there's another group, though, right? There's sin that we wouldn't say we love it, but we're kind of cool with it. And it can be lots of stuff. Like, I can share with you how I'm impatient, and you're like, hey, welcome to the club. Yeah, it's sin. I can share with you that maybe, you know, maybe I overeat all the time. And so if I say to you, last night, I was a rough night. I ate a whole carton of ice cream. People are like, what flavor? Yeah, welcome to the club. Yeah, that's what we do, right? And people at Pride, Pride kind of fits in there. Pride's one of those sins, and you, you might just say, yeah, well, you are better than some people kind of pat somebody on the shoulder. You wouldn't say that statement, but it's kind of how we act about sin. And, and there's all this stuff that we're just kind of cool with. And the Bible says you need to hate the very things that are hindering you from connecting with God. Why aren't we more sensitive to this stuff? What's the problem? Is it that some sins are kind of cool? We're just okay with them? Or... Is that why we're living such a plastic life? Is that why we don't experience the power of God? Because we're actually okay with sin in our life. And you know what we need to do? We need to wake up to that stuff. Supernatural goodness requires that we wake up to all the stuff that's going on beneath the surface. Because that's, there's the overt stuff that we can talk about, and all that, but there's stuff, there's a reason why we're getting angry. There's a reason why we think we're better than someone else and we're judgmental. There's a reason why we overeat. There's a reason why we're, whatever the other stuff is, impatient in the car, impatient in line, there's, a, there's stuff that's going on beneath the surface many times we don't want to deal with. 
And on the outside, everything looks good. And you know what? We probably have a reputation as being a good, solid Christian. We're probably, many of us, the type of Christian that many people, if they come to Christ, they go, I won't, I won't be like them. So I'm going to copy them. And now there are other people, and, and you're struggle, you've got overt sin. You know you don't feel like you can tell anybody. Maybe you're having an affair. Maybe you're trapped in pornography, drug addiction, whatever your thing is. Let me tell you, I've talked to people at our church with this, and they talk about it feels like I'm living in a prison of secrecy. You know why Jesus came? To set the prisoners free. And so you need to come clean with that stuff today, too. You repent. But there are others of us that no one will tell you you need to repent. No one will tell you that because everybody does it, and so we're okay with it. And that's something I'm asking you to do today is look beneath the surface. Why? What's going on there? Forget your reputation. Forget all the stuff that's going on out here. You, Jesus speaks to us that way. He speaks to us in Revelation chapter 3 like that. He's talking to the church of Sardis. They have a reputation for being alive, and he says, but you're dead. To the angel of the church in Sardis, he writes, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God, the seven stars is Jesus. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. He speaks very bluntly. Verse 2, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. In verse 3, remember, therefore, what you've received and heard, what happened when you first experienced the supernatural goodness. Obey it and repent. Live by the Spirit. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief in the night. You will not know at what time I will come to you. You won't be ready. He's warning them here because they've fallen asleep. That's why he says, wake up. I was thinking about that this week and reminded of the first mission trip our church sent overseas. Was, I don't remember if it was two years ago or three years ago or what it was now, but I went on it. <laughs> so that makes it really bad that I don't remember. But um, I went on this trip to Madagascar. And we're about to send a team out to Madagascar in the fall in September. And they're going to go into the tribe, like into the bush and, and teach nutrition and medicine and share the gospel and do all those things. When I went, it was like a little bit more of a cushy trip. <laughs> Sign me up. And so what ended up happening was that we were going to do a conference for missionaries all around South Africa and Madagascar and some of the islands. And they were going to come. We were trying to bless them. And so what we were trying to do is um, just refresh them, get, bring words of encouragement through worship, some people did children's ministry, and, and I preached while we were there. And I remember one message that I preached specifically was on spiritual battle. And the analogies I used really had to do with America because that's what I knew. And afterwards, I was sitting down, I was talking with a missionary about what spiritual battle was like there. He served in Mozambique, and he was telling me, it's so overt and so obvious here. He says, you'll see guys walking on the street that have just been to the witch doctor that are like frothing at the mouth, naked in the streets. They're demon-possessed. People use drugs to try and have a spiritual experience. And he's just talking about how overt and how obvious it is. But he grew up here in the South in America. And the way his life works is he spends a couple years on the mission field and then he'll come back to visit family every once in a while. And he talked about, he said, do you want to know what it's like in America? And I said, well, I live there. I have an idea what it's like. He goes, let me tell you what it's like from my perspective. I feel like America's been lulled to sleep about their sin. Because what he does is, he's in our culture for a little bit, and he leaves for two years, and then he comes back, and he can't believe how much worse it's gotten. The stuff that we're okay with, that we weren't okay the last time he was here, uh, the things that are on TV. He said that he, f he feels like the Muslims are taking over, slowly and nicely. But it's obvious to him, in what he described us as, as someone who's been lulled to sleep, like a baby. You, know, you hold a baby in your arms, and you sing songs, so he doesn't even realize it's falling asleep. There's that old preacher analogy. It says you, you can cook a frog if you put him in the water and you slowly increase the temperature. That's what's happened to us as a culture. That's what's happened to some of us individually is we just get used to the stuff that's acceptable and it's okay and we're lulled to sleep. And the scriptures say, wake up! 
Paul says that in Ephesians chapter 5, same type of thing. He's speaking to the believers in Ephesus, and he talks about the fruit of light, which is goodness. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 9, and we'll read all the way through to verse 14. Ephesians 5, 9 says, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And he starts talking about the difference between light and darkness. He says, And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And the truth is, even though we claim to be people of the light, we love darkness, at least in certain areas of our life. If I came into your bedroom this morning and you were asleep and I flipped the lights on, what do you do? Cover your head. It's like natural. It doesn't matter. Whatever your sleeping arrangement is, if you're in a dorm room, bedroom, whatever your situation is, somebody turns the light on, what? You, wanna, you don't like that. The light, when the light shines in the dark spots, we don't like it. And we're natural at covering up. It's what we naturally do. You see it in the book of Genesis. What happens after they sin? Have you ever read a children's Bible? It's fig bikini time at that moment. You've never read a children's Bible. They put on fig bikinis because they're covering up. It wasn't the best effort ever, if you've ever seen a children's Bible, but they're covering themselves up. And what does God say to them? Why? Who told you you were naked? Why are you covering up? What do they do? They hide. They don't want to be found as if God doesn't know. They know God. He knows everything. They're hiding on him. What a joke. It's like when you're a kid, you hide underneath the bed, and your legs are hanging out from it. It's like you can't do it. But we attempt to. And what we do, and we do it with overt stuff too. We do it with affairs and uh, sexual sin and all the stuff that everybody's against, right? And people, some of you, that's your life. You're living in that prison of secrecy. It's like David. Remember David when he has an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba? And then what you start to see is a cycle of sin. Then he tries to cover it up by trying to trick the husband into sleeping. It doesn't work. And so then he's got to cover it up more. And there's more circumstances. And one sin leads to another sin. And we see that. And it's sickening. And it's scary. And Christ came to set the prisoners free. You can be free from that. You've got to come clean, though. You've got to repent like Jesus tells that church in Sardis. You've got to get honest and uncover that stuff. And there's other of us, though. It's not like that overt stuff. And so what we do is we'll lose our temper sometimes, or we'll be judgmental sometimes. And what's really happening is stuff bubbling up to the surface. That's not even the real issue. There's this other stuff that's beneath the surface, like an iceberg. You know, an iceberg, you can, kind of, you can see that this is the water. You can see the top. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on down here. You've got to ask yourself, Why? And what we naturally want to do is we want to suppress and we want to cover it up. And it's natural. That is the natural way to live. Those are our natural inclinations. I see it with my kids. My kids, they, they, I never told them to hide stuff from me. They hide stuff from me when they do stuff that's wrong. Fortunately for me, they're so naive right now, they don't even realize what they're doing sometimes. I, my daughter the other day at dinner, we were talking, and we were talking about nap time. And she starts laughing. She's kind of silly by personality anyways. And she starts laughing, and she starts telling me about her nap time. She says, I came down here, and I got a cookie, and then I hid it underneath my pillow so you wouldn't know. <laughs> And I was like, did she seriously just tell me that? And I went up to her room, and I looked underneath the pillow. There's cookie crumbs and cookie stain underneath the pillow. We naturally hide stuff. We naturally push stuff down. We don't want people to know. And so what's going on beneath the surface? For some of us, it's sin. But you hate everything that's evil. For some of us, it's pain. And that pain might be the very thing that's hindering you from clinging to God. For some of you, it's deception. You believe lies that aren't true. And the best thing that Satan can have you do is keep those in your back pocket. Don't pull them out in front of other people that claim to be of the light, that claim to be of the truth, because they might speak truth to you. So just don't tell anybody. And you suppress that stuff, and you keep it down. 
I was talking with a friend the other day, and I was telling them, I said, if you see somebody blow their top because they lose their keys or something trivial like that, I mean, we all get annoyed if we lose our keys, right, or if you're running late or whatever happens. But when you see somebody lose it, I mean, get angry over something like that, there's something happening there. And what's happening there isn't about the anger. There's something else going on there. And the story I shared with my friend was I said a story about when I was in college. I, I, one time when I was in college, I applied for this scholarship. And what you had to do for the scholarship is you had to write uh, an article and get it published. It had to be from a Christian perspective, but you had to get it published in a non-Christian publication, whether it was a newspaper or a magazine or whatever it was. I found this local newspaper, and I thought it was crazy that they would do this because I was just a college student, and what did I know anyways? But they would publish this article that I wrote from a, a Christian perspective. And they said, the only thing you need to do is you need to bring a hard copy down, and you need to bring, and this dates me a little bit, right? Bring the disc down that you, that you saved it on. <laughs> Weird, right? Like, who had discs? But anyway, we did. And so what I had to do is hop in the car and drive down to this local paper. It was about 30 minutes away from where our school was at, and Shanna got in the car with me. We were dating at the time. We drove down to this newspaper. I got there. I thought that it was in my backpack. I kept everything in my backpack at that time. My backpack was in the backseat of the car. So I got out of the car, opened up the backpack. It's not there. I flip out. I start yelling. I'm punching the back seat and yelling that the article's not there. I forgot Shanna was there. I was in like a fit of rage. And then I turn and look at her. She's never seen anything like this from me. And you know what's going on? It wasn't just, and I don't like wasting time. I totally understand that. But you know what the article was about? It was about divorce. And in the article, I share some of the stuff about my parents' divorce. Do you know what was happening beneath the surface? It was pain. That pain was there. We all have pain from different stuff. Are you going to keep pushing that down? Are you going to keep suppressing that? See, see, that pain is one of the ones that's real easy to use God to not deal with it. We say spiritual stuff. It's called using God to run from God. What we end up doing is we'll say things like, well, that's in the past, and so, you know, pressing on towards what's ahead, you know, forget what's behind. But if that's the very thing that's causing you to not be able to connect with God, you hate what is evil. So yeah, we hate that, so deal with that stuff so you can move on and quit suppressing, wake up. Was it sin? Well, what's going on there? Why is that happening? Why do you overeat? Why are you so proud? Why do you lose your temper? Whatever those sins are that we're kind of cool with, what's really going on beneath the surface? Wake up. Those lies that you hear, that you think the certain truths of the scriptures apply to everyone else but not you, wake up. Expose those things to the light. Bring them out in the open. You've got to deal with that stuff if you're going to hate. If you're going to have a love-hate relationship with Jesus and experience the supernatural goodness of God, then you've got to hate that stuff to the point where you want it gone and cling to them, him who's good. Which means for some of us, repentance. Which means for some of us, telling the truth. Which means for some of us, dealing with that pain. You need to talk with someone. We've got opportunities for that, whether it's our response team. We've got our Celebrate Recovery, Hurts, Habits, and Hang-Ups, pain that people deal with. You've got a pastoral staff that love to talk with you. We've got people in our community groups. You've got various ways that we're trying to talk about the truth, trying to cling to he who is good. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to spend a few moments just in reflection. I don't want you praying for the person you're going to tell to listen to this message to or whatever that stuff, no elbowing anybody at this moment. But what about you? What is it that's hindering you from experiencing the supernatural goodness of God? And if that's repentance, then repent. If you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's simple. Here's what you do. You acknowledge your sin, and we're all sin. And you ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You can do that when we bow our heads and close our eyes. And some of you might need to deal with lies. Just ask God to speak truth into your life. I'll begin us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And in a moment, after we've had this time of reflection, I'll lead us in a time of the Lord's Supper.
But Father God, we come into your presence right now. And we're sorry. We apologize for being okay with evil. And I'll let you just have some moments to speak to the Lord right now.